Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. All right. Uh, We do want to welcome you. I do want to say if you're new to us, if you're exploring who Jesus is, if you're exploring the church, uh, if you're returning to the church, if you're reconnecting after a time away, we do really want to welcome you. Uh, We trust that this has already been a time of encouragement, a time of blessing, a time of stirring. Uh, A big day today. We know lots happening, but we trust that you've been encouraged. Uh, You can follow along in the the Bible app if you have your phone, smartphone, iPad, whatever you do. Uh, You version, just check, search for an Church of Christ event uh, and the Bible passages will be there or we encourage you to write them down they'll be on the screen we try and cover all the learning styles uh, in a quick summary Uh, so you know you can grab them our life groups are working through these studies as well with us Uh, we're starting a new series today uh, disciple generations build the church Uh, So um, we trust that we're encouraged. Uh, We're committed to transforming the community in the name of Jesus, recognising that transformation needs to start with me. Uh, I need to be transformed by Jesus in the name of Jesus as well. So uh, we we look forward to what this will bring uh, and we trust that um, you're ready to go. Are you ready to go then? All right, excellent. Uh, I don't know, how many people still handwrite their letters? Oh, a few. How many people still receive handwritten letters? Okay. How good is it to get a handwritten letter? You still enjoy that? Like there's something really satisfying to go to your letterbox and see something personally addressed that doesn't have a little window in it. Um, <laughs> is there not? Uh, just sidetrack. Rowan and Rachel Morell, are you back in town now? Where do you live? Hey, all right. Yeah. All right. So Ron and Rachel Morell are part of our mission partnerships. Uh, they're continuing to work with Wycliffe in Kangaroo Ground, but basing themselves in Horsham and transitioning. And uh, welcome home. Nice to have you. Um, sorry about that. Um, no, I'm not, actually. Yeah. What was I talking about? Oh, someone's paying attention. I was just testing you. Yeah, see? All right. Get on with it, Simon. Um, but one of the, one of the uh, handwritten letters are powerful. So the last week... Um, I was reminded too that even as I went up there, you know, the most preparation I've done is read emails and book my flights and get to the centre. But I was struck by the preparation that had gone before I got there. Uh, by uh, on Wednesday morning, I think I, we all received gifts every morning at our door, and uh, one of the gifts. Whew, um, one of the gifts on Wednesday morning was a, a small journal that had the arrow logo and the, the phrase about growing to be more like Jesus, following Jesus, leading like Jesus. And inside that was a handwritten card by someone I've never met, uh, someone who I don't know, have never encountered, um, who doesn't really know me. And she said quite clearly, I don't know you. We might not ever have the privilege to meet. And then she wrote this most incredible encouragement that really spoke into uh, who I was and some of the challenges and some of the questions that I had. Uh, And I found that just a powerful experience. I I was blown away that someone who didn't know me would take the time to handwrite a letter. Now, I know I like handwriting letters. Um, My hand gets a bit sore, but I also know 
people would rather read something from a doctor than read my writing. So I I get a bit torn sometimes. I like the idea of reading a letter, but it's just so much easier for you if I send you an email. Because my writing, despite my best efforts, I start off neat, and by the end of the letter, you're going to be lucky to read the last sentence. Uh, And I've had people comment that back to me. Despite, I have really tried. I do really try, um, as much as I am also really trying. Um, So... You know, but I think there's enormous power also in email and text. We love getting that kind of source of inspiration and encouragement, don't we? I've also learned over the last few years, you know, I would say to people, yep, I'll pray for you. You know, people say, send me a text or a message and say, can you pray for me? And I go, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. And then I kind of forget. So now what I've done is I'll actually just send the prayer straight back. Um, I start writing my prayers in text, and some of you might have received that, um, and just trying to bless people. And I think, you know, God's bigger than all this technology. It's incredibly powerful, and I want to be a part of that, yeah? Uh, but even more incredible, imagine if any letters that you've written endure for the generations to come. Just think about that for the moment. If you consider the letters that you've written, and someone was to read them in 10 years' time, if someone was to read them in 50 years' time, 100 years' time, if someone was to read them in 1,000 years' time, imagine a letter enduring that long. Would they be encouraged by it? Would they be stirred by it? And this is what we're unpacking. These encouraging, powerful letters that have been passed from generation to generation to generation. And this is what makes these letters called Timothy and Titus so powerful and so unique. Much of the New Testament has been written to the early church. A number of churches planted throughout the regions, gone out from Jerusalem, around Jerusalem. We know that when Jesus sent his disciples, Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, and this was starting to happen. And a lot of the letters throughout the New Testament are written to the early church. This is what it looks like. The Gospels are written to remind the early church by particular people who Jesus was, what Jesus did, who he represented and what that life calls us to. And the rest of the letters are essentially to local communities spread throughout. Exciting and encouraging and stirring young communities of faith. But these personal, encouraging and challenging letters were addressed to young leaders, emerging leaders, as they faced the challenges and as they navigated the challenges of a constantly changing world amongst an empire that was constantly confronting and challenging their faith and actually killing them for their faith. That's what you call persecution, you know, when you're at risk of dying for your faith. Just so we're all clear about persecution. All right? That's when you're at risk of being killed for your faith. Paul writes to Timothy as he leads the church in Ephesus. So we all know Ephesus is a letter called Ephesians. Okay? So you can read some of the encouragement to local community in Ephesians and to Titus in Crete. And you'll see, um, and C R E T E, and I apologize if I've murdered that name, um, if you would say it another way. But um, so he writes to Timothy and to Titus. Uh, and what's, what astounds me as I read these letters is it's not Paul in the prime of his ministry, right? It's not Paul writing these letters. And there's some argument whether Paul wrote the letters or not. Nah, that's, 
you know, they're still scriptures, and therefore they've still got some power. <laughs> All right? So um, we're going to use Paul as the author of these letters just for the ease and simplicity of communicating. Um, but Paul wasn't writing this in the prime of his ministry. He wasn't writing this as he's got the mega church of Jerusalem happening. He wasn't writing this as he's a popular megastar. Paul was writing these letters as he was coming towards the end of his ministry and indeed to the end of his life. And he knew it was coming. He was writing these letters in the hardship, some of these elements of these letters, you'll hear and you'll see, and if you go and read them in full, and I encourage you to go and read them in full, might take an hour or two of your day or a week, you know, over a week. Um, he was writing some of these letters to these young leaders, individual, personal letters to these young leaders, while he was in prison. And not just in prison, but in chains. Like, he didn't have, you know, 24-hour Foxtel. He didn't have Netflix. He didn't have Stan or whatever other streaming service you might use. Paul was in prison knowing that he was about to die for his faith because of what he stood for. And he was, his primary motivation, his primary heart, his primary focus was still to cheer on the next generation. He wasn't sitting in there and going, oh God, if only it was like when I was a young boy. Oh God, if only they would do things the way that I would do. Oh God, they don't know what it's like. He wasn't doing any of that. He was saying, guys, here we go. This is what it means. I'm coming to the end of my life. Your life doesn't look the same as mine, so what can I offer you? What can I offer you? I might need to calm down a bit here. I'm... <clears throat> And it's incredibly powerful. Now get this. These letters have endured. These letters have endured as meaningful, significant and relevant texts. And we will find out over the next few weeks why these letters remain relevant. All right. And essentially the summary is um, stand firm in Christ. Be faithful witnesses. Be faithful teachers and shepherds in your community. Honour community. Be leaders and spiritual maturity that disciples the generations to come. So even Paul, in his writing of these letters, from prison, as he was getting old, like let's not dispute that, he's getting aged, his body might not have been working in the way that he once hoped, he was saying, guys, I want to set you up to pass it to the next generations. I don't want to set you up to go back here to the way that I've done things in the law and that sort of stuff. I don't want to, you don't even have to be the same as me in my encounter. I want to set you up to pass it on. And that's what built the church. You excited yet? Oh, gee, I didn't know I was this excited about this series. Um, so, and what we're going to do, rather than reading them verse by verse sequentially, so historically when we've done letters of the book, we've, uh, of the Bible, we've kind of gone, you know, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. But what we're going to do is kind of collate these letters with the theme. So we're going to kind of dance in between all three letters at once that cover the themes of the morning. We're going to spend about 12 weeks in this. And I want to encourage you, be here. Get excited about this. Because I really believe God is going to set us up. God is going to stir us. God is going to wake us. I'm praying that that happens. If you know people who are a bit, oh, you know, it's so hard to get back, stir them up. 
Stir them up. You know how the church is going to wake up and transform the community? Is when people of faith wake up and transform the community. And we know that Sunday is not the be-all and end-all. Sunday is not the beginning of our call and is not the end of our call. We all know that, right? Well, that was convincing. Um, <clears throat> 20 years of ministry, you know. Um, <laughs> um, so, but this is important to release, to encourage, to empower and to send you out again. To remind us that we are not on our own. We are not on our own. So we're going to explore the themes across the letters. Um, having selection of the three letters each week. Um, and I really want to encourage us, okay, here's what I want to ask you to do over these next 12 weeks. Think about this now. Get pen and paper, on your phone, notes, whatever's going to work for you. What's one decision that you can make between now and the end of the year? That's you know, one decision that will cause you to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus. One decision. So let me give you some, um, would it be, I want to make the one decision to be dis disciplined and intentional in my time with Jesus. I want to make the decision, I will read through Timothy and Titus. I want to make the decision to share my faith with one person in the next three months. I want to make the decision to be regular. You know, if I'm tired, I'm going to be at Sunday service. If I'm feeling worn out, if I'm feeling frustrated, if I'm feeling blurt from the week that's just gone, I'm going to be there anyway. Would that be one decision? And write it down somewhere and tell someone who will hold you accountable to it. Not to beat you up, but to cheer you on. One person, one decision, go deeper with Jesus. How is it that you want to see yourself? What is it that you want God to do in you? over these coming weeks so that that would have a bearing on who you mix with. Is that, you with me? One decision, look, you're all intelligent human beings. I thought about putting out little cards and giving you the time and space to do that. You're all intelligent peaks, you know, go home and think about it. Or if you've got the decision now, maybe the Holy Spirit's dropped something in you. Maybe it's to share your faith with someone. Maybe it's in to invite someone along to hear the good news. One decision for us to go deeper, to mature. Write it down and share it with another person. So here we go. Are you ready now? First Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God, our Saviour and of Christ Jesus, our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Similar again in 2 Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh my goodness, what does that do to your spirit already? Grace and mercy, peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Don't we need to be reminded that that's where we start? And to Titus, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle. Uh, apostle is the sent one. Someone sent to establish, to build. Uh, an apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised 
before the beginning of time. Whoo-wee. And which now at his appointed season he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Saviour. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Saviour. So here's where we start. Paul recognises something. Okay? And this is, I mean, that's there's so much power in this text. I was going to say it's kind of a... You know, it's a bit of a greeting. Hey, this is who I am. But listen to who he is. Listen to how Paul describes himself. Paul says, I am one who is sent. I am one who is under the authority of Christ. I have been saved in Christ and by Christ. And my hope is in Christ. And if that's all you took this week, that could revolutionize your life. What would that look like for us today? To recognise ourselves as those who have been sent by Christ. And we are sent not because of anything that we've done. We are sent not because of any skills that we might have, although they come in handy. We are sent not because of any knowledge that we have or carry or not because of our theological understanding, although that comes in handy. We are sent not because our lives are perfect, we are sent because we come under the authority of Jesus who has been sent from his father and so has passed on to the authority of his children. You know, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, so now you go. I've been saved in Christ. Saved from what? Well, saved from my own ego. Saved from my own sense of self-importance. Saved from the demands and the challenges of this world. Saved from the exhaustion of this world. I have been saved. I've been set apart. I've been made whole. I've been saved as recognising I'm no longer ruled by the things of this world that are temporary. I am ruled by the heart of Jesus. Christ Jesus dwells in me. And because of that, my hope is in Jesus Christ. That in itself, wow, he knows who he is. Look, Paul is under no illusion, no illusion of who he is. And the lavish love that has been poured out. He writes to the, when he writes to the Ephesians community, he says this in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 to 8. I became a servant of this gospel, this good news, by the gift of God's grace. So a gift that's undeserved, a gift that I've done nothing to deserve. A gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people. You know, there's a time where you know, Paul recognises that actually there's more faithful people than me. There's people who have done greater things in some way. There are people who have followed this call further than I have. And he says he was less like he went around breathing, the Acts says he was breathing murderous threats against the church. So imagine living with that your life. And he could because he understood who he was in Christ. You know, whatever your past, 
Side note for you, free gift for you, whatever your past, whatever you think you've done that can't restore you, whatever you think you're too, um, whatever shame that you carry, which is about you as a person, it's, it's all a lie. We've all done terrible things. Or maybe we haven't done terrible things, but we've all done things that we wish we hadn't have done. That doesn't define you as the person. What defines you as a person is who you are in Christ. This grace was given to me. This grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. So his, uh, his opening statement invites Timothy and Titus to remember God's grace, to remember God's mercy and God's peace. And I want you to hear the personal relationship in these letters. Like This isn't a false thing. Hear this, all right? To Timothy, my true son in the faith, my dearly loved son. To Titus, my true son in our common faith. Can you imagine opening that letter? (laughs) Oh, wow. Paul, he calls me his son. We know nothing, or probably, oh no, we know a little bit about Timothy's faith and heritage. We don't know so much about Titus. But to hear that, to know that we are identified, to know that we are seen. It's like Paul says, despite the distance, despite the hardship, despite the obstacles and the challenges, he writes to these, um, Paul writes to these young leaders and he says, we are intimately and personally connected. You are my children because we are sent in Christ, because we are saved by Christ, because our hope is in Christ. Paul, Paul says, I have placed something in you that weaves us together. Despite our distance, despite our hardships, we are part of something that is beyond us, but within us. Woo-wee, that's, that's good. I heard an interview with Alistair Clarkson. Any North Melbourne supporters in the house? Yeah, Matt, Welcome. Yep, great. We accept all people, even the outcasts. Um, yep. <laughs> He's the only one here, so you know, <laughs> no one else wants to own up to it. So I'm impressed that you own up to it, mate. Well done. Good on you. Uh, that's, that's a true supporter right there. And I know his heart's been aching. Um, Alistair Clarkson's been appointed as uh, North Melbourne coach, and, uh, which is a huge shift, a huge coup for uh, this club. And he was asked about um, their number one draft pick from, I think, must have been 2021 or 2020, uh, a young kid by the name, I might have been this year, um, a young kid by the name of uh, Jason Horn Francis. He's 18 years old. Right, expected to play league footy, uh, 18 years old. He was at the top of his game in the next level down and he's come into a North Melbourne side that has been languishing. Bottom of the ladder, he's been criticised for um, yelling at his teammates. He's been criticised for um, not developing the standard. He's been criticised even as an, eight, as an 18-year-old. He started off by signing a two-year contract and he's been criticised because he wouldn't sign a long-term contract beyond the end of 2023 at 18. That's just ridiculous. What we put on young people, 
Alistair Clarkson was asked, um, how are you handling, Clarko? Because this 18-year-old kid is the only player playing for North Melbourne Football Club, apparently. And Clarko says, here's a young kid making his way and adjusting to the next level of football. There'll be times where I need to give him a cuddle and other times a size nine in the backside. That's what you call football fatherhood right there. Football fatherhood. Tony's family immigrated to Australia from Vietnam when he was a young boy. Um, they were hardworking. Uh, dad worked long hours, mum worked long hours, but it was an incredibly violent home. His dad told him from a young age he was dumb, that he was worthless, had nothing to offer this world. They worked hard. At 13 or 14, he started rebelling. He started sneaking out. He'd go and stay at his sister's place because his sisters just got out of town as quick as they could. They went and found their homes amongst the gang cultures. And he started at 13 going and staying with his sisters who had gangsters as boyfriends and friends of friends and all sorts of things happening. Um, he talks about drug addictions, selling drugs. He talks about crime. He talks about walking in there around the streets because he found a brotherhood with a like-minded people who welcomed and accepted him and gave him a purpose, even if it was going and robbing a house. At 13, he would sleep with a gun. He had no peace and he lived with paranoia. And he speaks incredibly opening, opening. He speaks incredibly openly, recognising that he has hurt a lot of people in his life. Here's someone who could say, like Paul, I am the least of all people. And now as he watches his own son at 13, he sees how much of himself that he was just a little kid who didn't really know what he was doing. And how he longed at 13 to have a father who would welcome and love him and speak life into him. And maybe you're sitting in the room today and you're still longing for that. And maybe you're sitting in the room as a dad and you're going, you know, maybe I haven't been that to my kids. Maybe you're sitting in the room and you're not yet a dad or you might not be a dad, but you still have the influence over people. He and Tony, this young guy who was told he was dumb as a young child, in detention by, was by the time of 14, um, in and out of detention. Um, and he says this. He speaks openly about his faith. Uh, it was on ABC Conversations. Um, he says this. Fix the man, fix the problem. If every man was the husband or father they are called to be, we wouldn't have half the problems we have today. I'm pretty fortunate and I know how blessed I am. And I've got no, I'm under no illusions. Excuse me. I've been blessed to have spiritual fathers in my life since the day I was born. I know how privileged that is. Now, it hasn't been without its difficulties. I'm sure my dad would say the same thing. Um, <laughs> G'day, Dad. Um, uh, and I've, I've been blessed to have people speaking in my life. And I, I probably haven't really ever thought of some of these people as spiritual fathers, but they have been. People in this church have been my spiritual fathers. 
People have spoken life into me. People have challenged me. In the last few years, I've had people coming to me and saying, Simon, you're the spiritual father of this house. And I've kind of gone, oh, that's it's incredibly humbling. It's incredibly uncomfortable. <laughs> it's unsettling. But I'm, I'm humble because you know, my only hope is that I point people to Jesus. That's all I've got. Honestly, like, there's no secret to this. <laughs> all I have is Jesus. All we have is Jesus. And I know that we, we've, we, there's lots that we can criticise the church and lots that the church gets beaten up about, but I tell you what, if we came back to the place where I, where I was able to say, I am one who was sent, I am one who was saved, I am one who was under the authority of Jesus and my hope is in Jesus, that would be a great starting point. Make that your decision over the next three months. That's the kind of life that I want to live under. My question in all that is, who are the people in your life that you will allow to speak the spiritual truths that will transform your heart, your mind and your spirit. And who are the people that God might have placed on your heart that you need to go and speak into and say, hey, I'd just love to be someone who you trust and can share your heart with. I want to be someone who encourages you for the next generations. I know... I know our weeks are full. I know we go to work or we go and live our retired lives or we say, oh, I've done that, I've been there. Oh, let me say it clearly, rubbish. Because we are called to more. And if our lives are defined by our work hours or what we once done, we're not under the authority of Jesus. We don't know the hope that we have in him. So how do we pass it on to other people? Paul was able to set the example by saying, I want to pass this on as a guy who's in prison. Now you can say, oh, you had plenty of time. I don't know. I think that might have made it difficult for him. Who were you allowed to encourage, challenge, correct and cheer you on? And who will you go out of your way to give time to? 1 Corinthians chapter 14 says, uh, Paul writes to the Corinthian church, I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Again, hear the relationship. (laughs) Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you, Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in the church. Look for those people you can imitate because they live according to the heart of Jesus. Do you hear that? He will remind you. Who are the people who will remind you of their way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what they teach everywhere? everywhere tell you what (laughs) if you want to be mentor to someone be willing to talk about your finances be willing to talk about your relationships your marriages your friendships 
Um, sexual intimacy, sexual intimacy, your work, your finances. Everywhere. Knowing that I am one who is under the authority of Christ, I am saved in Christ, and my hope is in Christ. If you're not sure who they are, are they people of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control and faithfulness? See, while there are many people who will share their opinion, we need spiritual parents. <laughs> We've had enough of opinions over the last couple of years. We need spiritual parents. You know what I know? This is what I take out of what Paul has offered to us. We know spiritual parents because of who the we know who the spiritual parents are because of who Christ is and what he has done. Their lives reflect the overwhelming lovish outpouring of the Father's love. They faithfully and generously live out their calling and their witness. They live in a God-honoring, sacrificial, loving way. They're willing to call up the next generation, boldly declaring the hope that we have in Jesus. That's what a spiritual parent looks like, I think. We can do that in our families. We can do that in our workplaces. In our communities, in our churches. Paul explains to Timothy what he hopes to do over these letters. He says, But as for you, continuing what you have, this is chapter 3, verses 14 to 17, continuing what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it. So there, you can trust the source. You can trust the relationship. You can trust the example. You can trust the witness. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you don't know what to do, read the Scriptures. It might not give you a very clear answer or a specific example, but it will give you a clear clarity of heart. It'll give you a clarity of mind. It'll give you a clarity of spirit. Second Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 to 7. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived out, and here's the generational, lived out in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. Right, so here's three generations. And I want you to keep going. For this reason, I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So over the next few weeks, we're going to look like what it looks. We're going to explore what it looks like to be spiritual parents, inviting us to be children who receive correction, rebuke, even as we're reminded of the hope we have in Jesus. And as we disciple generations, God will build His church. 
As we remember the relationships that we are called into, we honor the biggest story, the story that has gone before us and the story that will come after us. What kind of legacy we want to, will we want to leave? Paul writes to the Ephesian church again towards the end of, uh, or in the middle of his uh, letter to the Ephesian church, and he says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Throughout all generations, forever and ever. (laughs) What a great prayer. Throughout all generations. I I, look, I know I'm one of those guys now that, you know, I've seen a lot of stuff in 50 years of life. I've been in the church my whole life. I've seen a lot of things. I've heard a lot of things. I've felt a lot of pain. I've probably caused a lot of pain. No doubt about that. But I want to be one who serves under the authority of Jesus, knowing that I'm one who is sent and called, knowing one that I am loved, knowing who I am. I'm not loved because of what I do. I am loved because of who God is. I want you to know that as a truth today. But because of that, I'm under the authority of Christ. I am saved in Christ. My hope is in Christ. And that's not just, you know, I don't do that so I can go, oh, it was so wonderful back there. I don't want to do that so we can say, oh, it's so wonderful now. I want to do that and release the next generation into whatever they're called to. And we've got to keep finding new ways to do that. New expressions to do that. So here, we take in an enormous amount of information every day. Education, social media, entertainment, advertising, Sunday preaching, on-demand preaching. You, know, you can go home and you can watch six different preachers this week. More. You can go home and watch your favourite preachers because you like what they say or you like the way that they do it. So here's the thing. Ready for this one? With all that you hear, and I know that some of you sitting in this room or watching online, you have heard thousands of messages. Thousands. Thousands. All that we take in over the course of a day, of a week. What will your next step be? What's one decision that you will make? It's one thing to hear the word. It's another thing to walk in love, power and self-discipline. What area of life, as their team comes up, and prepares for our, our final song that I really pray that God will minister to us and transform us and soften us. What area of your life do you need to confess, repent, submit or surrender to Jesus? What area of life do you need to just give over to Jesus? Where do you need Jesus to speak healing over your life? Whether your body, your spirit, your heart, your mind, your thoughts, your finances, your marriage, your friendships, your work. Any addictions that you'd rather no one else knows about? Maybe it's simply, not simply, maybe it's submitting your attitude, your behaviour. The way that we dishonour one another. Maybe the way we dishonour our leaders. The way we speak about our leaders. Whether that's local church ministry, council leaders, 
state leaders, government leaders? How do we speak about them? Is that something that God needs to do in our hearts and our tongues that we get sorted? Because the world needs a distinctive way of life. If our world is doing so well, if our world is doing so well because we can do whatever we want and be whoever we want, why is suicide increasing in our community? Why is anxiety increasing? Why is there an increase in depression? And I'm not, that's not a, please hear me. That's just a stuff. Why is there, you know, I'm not saying that you're not loved None of that, but that's increasing. And it's sad. It's heartbreaking. I'm sure God's heart breaks. This is not what he intended. Why are our marriages falling apart? Why are our marriages ruined by affairs? And it's, it's the church, we're called to be different somehow. We're called to live a distinctive life. Why do we have governments that continue to spend millions and millions and millions on inquiries, but we can't solve homelessness? We continue to spend millions in our welfare, and no critique of our people who work in welfare, you are absolute dynamite. And we need you because... You know, I'm not skilled enough or patient enough or gracious enough or merciful enough to work in that system, but I know that you are overwhelmed, you are worn out, you are frustrated. Do you know what will set this world alight again? Yeah. I don't say that to simplify it, but it will actually be people who take Jesus seriously and decide, I'm going to live a distinctive life for him. And if you're looking around at your friends and you're going and you're looking around at your colleagues and looking at their marriages and their relationship with kids or your heart or the way that you respond in workplaces and you're going, you know what? I'm not that different. Let me say, maybe there's something we need to confess and repent from in that. And I really want, to take, I really want us to take that seriously today. I know you can sit in your chairs and I know we ask this every week. We're going to sing this song that just simply says, I speak Jesus. I speak Jesus. And I don't know what you need in your life. Only God knows that. I know I'm not the solution to your difficulties and your struggles. But I really want to invite you, challenge you. If your one decision this, this month, these months, is to step out of your seat and say, I can't do this anymore. I'm doing it on my own. And just come here, get on your knees. Stand up with your arms wide open and say, Jesus, I have lived my life without you. I want, you know, upstairs, I know it's not that far. No one else will be watching you. They'll be focused on Jesus themselves, asking Jesus. But I, I really think there is something tangible about going, Ugh. and that's what some of you need to do. You need to pick your feet up. You know, you're being dragged right now, even, some of you. The Spirit is saying, come on, come on, this is enough. It's enough. We all want more for the church. We all want more for the kingdom. We all want God to minister. Well, sometimes that requires, I need to move. I can't stay in the same junk that I've been sitting in. We need to release that junk. We need the Spirit to minister that junk. And so we're going to speak the name of Jesus over that junk today. 
and we're going to find some healing from a holy God. I really believe that. And if you're sitting there right now, I know I need to move. I know I need to move. I can't move. I can please move. I want to invite you to stand. Yeah. Holy Spirit, would you minister into hearts and minds? Would we receive you? Would we move in some way? I know there's lots of arguments. I know there's fear in this room, maybe even in our homes about people seeing us. If you're in our homes, you can be on your knees in the lounge room or in the kitchen, wherever it might be. Move out of your bed and kneel beside your bed. In this room right now, Father, there's people who will be arguing and wrestling and what if and debating. God, I pray that you would break through and you would speak to our spirits and our hearts right now. I believe you want to do something in us. You want to do something in me. You want to do something through us. You want to dwell within us so that you can release a greater freedom. Holy Spirit, come in this moment. So friends, if you move to the front, we're going to allow you just to stand there in worship, just to receive the name of Jesus from our worship team. And then we'll come and people come and get alongside you at the end of the song. We'll notice you. We'll see you. But we want Jesus to do his ministry. Yeah. We want Jesus to do his ministry. So just come. Kneel, stand in worship, lay flat on your face, whatever you need to do. Confess, call out, pray. Even as our team are singing and leading, we speak Jesus.